The In-Depth Podcast with Richard Harding. I'm very pleased to welcome the President of the States Assembly and Constitution Committee, Deputy Neil Lindo. Good morning, Richard. Thank you for having me. For those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background before you got into this politics business. After I came back from travelling, well, I'd spent three years in Japan, I came back and we started, three of us started an advertising agency called KWL. Fairly successful. Um, as you'll know, Richard, we started, or well, certainly were part of the start of Island FM, the successful radio station that it is now. And um, seven years later, I moved from that company and into the digital space and started a company called Submarine and ran that for seven, eight, nine years. Effectively sold my portion of the company put myself up for election failed miserably the first time around in the in the first election but um unfortunately on the uh, uh death of deputy dave jones that hero of the north there was uh, effectively an opportunity and i mean with a small o put myself forward again and i was successful in a by-election some six months after the first election back in the day you ran a punk group we were always sort of into our sort of new wave punky type music buscocks pistols clash and what i'm still a big fan of uh Joe Strummer and I managed to get a mention of him in, in the States the other day and of course with that I'll sort of find a guitar play three chords and that's it you've got a band and so we did that I think that one was called Hazard when I was a youngster and later on about 10 years ago we, we did something called the three minute heroes and some irony in the in the name but basically we just um, nicked everyone else's songs did covers and just played to a few people but the, those days are uh, somewhat gone so I've done it in my youth and I did it in my sort of dotage as well and another highlight of course you were the voice of Lennon Enid those legendary Randall's commercials here on Island FM why did I know you were going to mention that <laughs> at some point yes that's correct yep we wrote the scripts um, developed the campaign and uh, they became really part of Island FM's almost um, anthem to a degree didn't it for, for a few years with uh, that's slightly sort of nutty Kevin in the uh, corner. I don't mean that in an unkind <laughs> kind way. Sort of wacky. Let's say yeah. wacky Kevin. And then on top of that, we had these slightly anarchic um, campaigns coming out of these two characters called Lennon Enid. And, and I will always be grateful to the Randalls for um, allowing that kind of uh, nonsense to be created and, 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 and paid for by them. If it's not Randalls, it's a scandal. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Now, uh, sort of back to the, the current day. And uh, you're, you've got a huge brief at the moment. You're tasked with bringing in the huge change of island-wide voting. How are you going to do it? We've got a very good team. That's the important thing, both in terms of committee and also a project team and a principal officer. What have we done so far? We've made the changes to the law, the legislative changes. So that, that's all the boring stuff. Those are things you've just got to do. And we've got a second policy letter coming in November, which is sort of bottom out the actual, that's probably where the arguments are going to be about grants and funding, all that kind of stuff. In the background, which the public won't see, there's a project team working with the designs, putting a programme together, looking at how we're going to communicate with potential candidates, um, how we're going to deal with the media, what sort of services and uh, tools we can give um, candidates to put together a campaign for them. So how's this going to work for Joe Public in the street or Joanna Public in the street? What's the big change for them? Well, the big difference they're going to see is we've now moved from seven districts, I sort of the parish-based system, into one single district, which is all of Guernsey. The one that they're going to see, which is going to be most substantial change, is the size of the ballot paper. Gone are the days where you're going to have seven or eight of, you know, Paris stalwarts in their individual, most of which you probably knew anyway, and a couple of fly-ins that we used to get from other parishes. And we've got 38 seats available, 
potentially, and I hate using a figure, we could possibly have 100 candidates on a single ballot paper, could be even more. So that's a significant difference the public are going to see, that they're going to be able to choose up to 38 of their preferred candidates to uh, sit in the Assembly. So they could almost choose their own Assembly, in a way. To a degree, yeah. I suppose you could. Yeah. My suspicion, though, this, yeah. is, this is my suspicion, because we did, we did a test at Submarine back in 2008, and what, what we did, back then there were 47 deputies, we're now down to 38. There were 88 candidates, I seem to remember. What we delivered, we had an email database, and we delivered almost an online ballot paper, just as an experiment. And we delivered it to your desk. So you didn't even have to leave your office. And we asked you, to, with radio buttons, um, is choose your uh, 47 candidates. What we found, interestingly enough, is that the average votes cast were around 17. So I'd be very surprised if most people choose up to their 38 candidates. What we saw, again, testing it, uh, admittedly digitally, admittedly 10 years ago, what we found, the patterns were quite interesting. What Richard would do, where do you live, Richard? In town. You're in town, boy. Yep. So, so Richard, back then, you might have, and I, I can't even remember the name, so there's no point in me asking you where you lived anyway, but I'll try. But, <laughs> but the, the chances were, back then, you probably chose your first two favourite St. Peterport candidates, yep. as they were at the time. You then moved on to that guy and that girl you'd always wanted to vote, to vote for, and then you gave three or four people newbies that were coming in your vote. And we actually noticed quite strong patterns that even we're in an island-wide voting system, I believe, and I'll never be able to prove it, only what I've seen previously, I think people were, in the very first instance, their first two or three are likely to be possibly their regional favourite deputies. So that might well be the existing deputies. And, you know, some people that they've always wanted to vote for. Or, equally, we may get some big name that comes in that, you know, is going to storm it and just come effectively top of the polls. It's been said that uh, well-known candidates with existing profiles, people like current deputies, maybe people who are big names in Ireland life in other fields, have got a huge advantage over newbies. What can we do about that? You can't really do anything about that. It's just a fact of life. That was the same under the um, old system. Um, there was a certain advantage to the incumbency. But equally, if you turned up as a new candidate, as long as you were reverend, accountant, advocate or ex-headmaster you are almost guaranteed a seat the challenge i suppose is going to be for the people with no profile at all to um get their name out and about and and find somewhere to sort of almost leverage themselves into the existing incumbents and those names and i don't mean necessarily existing names those names that might just appear but equally what i'd also say part of the I say conversation more narrative and a lot of this comes from the people that don't, don't, didn't want island-wide voting is that they said it, definitely the incumbents are, there's an, as an advantage but that's not strictly true you look at the last election two poll toppers went from hero to zero within four years so it's not always the case that because you are already a sitting deputy you're definitely going to get a seat because we saw that and certainly three there were three people who two who were poll toppers lost their seats and uh, one other I can't remember where that deputy was, but I think mid-ranger, second or third, whatever. And in fact, one of those deputies wasn't too far from uh, this radio station, uh, D Deputy Kevin Stewart, as, as it was. He, he had a hell of a tumble. So it's not necessarily the case. Weirdly enough, I've got great faith in the public of Guernsey. I believe that they take their voting seriously. I believe they're going to be fairly critical. They're going to read the manifestos and they will take that role as a vote very seriously. 
So what will happen will happen. We've made a decision. We went out to a referendum. That's what the people of this island decided, accepting not by massive majority, but that is a fact. It was first past the post. That's what won at the end of the day, and that's what we're going to be delivering on the 17th of June 2020. So what about political associations? Do you think that could make things easier for people if they stood on a list of a policy platform? Yeah, uh, that's a funny old one, that one. Um, It it ultimately depends what kind of um, party emerges, and... To be honest with you, what we've seen so far hasn't been that successful. It's been all sort of um, light and not an awful lot of heat, if I can be fairly frank about it. I was expecting them to do more than they had done at the moment. That doesn't necessarily mean I would necessarily agreed with them, but it's been all sort of brand and colours and banners. But I haven't seen anything particularly in terms of policy direction, what they're wanting to do, what they're wanting to achieve. So... Maybe in the background, we don't know. This is what we've seen so far. There may well be a party sort of simmering away in the background. They may be all beavering away and come the middle of January 2020. There may be the emergence of some something that hasn't happened yet. But what I've seen so far, I haven't been that impressed by it. But to answer your question, would it help? Um, it might help the voters. The big ones always tend to be, you know, housing, tourism, flights, travel. Now, if there were 25 candidates in this party that said, look, we want to deal with what we haven't dealt with this year, which is the travel links, and we want to deal with first-time buyers, let's say they've got an environmental bias or something like that, or possibly they're keen for a sort of liberal, democratic type, that might be worth candidates adopting if they can all agree, and if, if they can all be maintained and whipped effectively and get past June the 17th. So there may be some advantage in there. I just haven't seen it emerge yet. So electronic voting is not happening this time. Is it something you'd like to see in the future? Oh, it's got to. I mean, come on, we can't keep talking about we're digital this, we're digital that. We've committed £200 million for 10 years for a company called Agilisys, who apparently are going to turn this island around. They're going to make lots of savings. And within that, by 2024, if we haven't got online vote casting, then you know what? We should stop talking digital. It has to happen by 2024. So it's make or break as far as that's concerned. This is your first term in the States. How have you found it so far? Is it what you thought it would be? That is a loaded question if ever I've ever uh, heard on. How have I found it? Is it what I thought it would be? Ah, gosh. Who knows? Um, you, you put yourself forward because you're passionate about certain things. I was passionate about retaining the grammar. I lost that. I was passionate about rebuilding Lamar. I lost that, and I was passionate about a couple of other things. So in terms of do I think I've been personally successful as a vote of one, I don't think I've been that successful. Have I enjoyed it? Yeah, of course. It's been certainly interesting because you never stop thinking. I I come from a world where one minute I might have been dealing with Channel Island Ceramics, for example, talking about tiles, and the next meeting might have been with Liechtenstein Global Trust talking about fun. So I've always come from a world where... I've always had a very varied lifestyle and, I've, and I, I wouldn't like the idea of, weirdly enough, being almost an expert in, in actually one area. I think I'd get bored. My, I haven't got a mind like that. Where the challenges have been, I think, is that having chosen my own teams in previous lives, Richard, you can draw, come and sit down. You know, uh, Paul, you can do audiovisual, come and sit down. I've always come from what is effectively a very flat structure. I don't really care what you are, what you say, what you look like, your colour, your creed, your gender. I don't care. I just want the job to be done because we've got a deadline, we've got to get a bill out and we've got cattle to feed, which is normally, that's the way, that's a small businessman's mindset. But what's different here is that, and I don't mean it unkindly, I don't have the ability to employ like I would have in the commercial sector. You've got to take from the collective elected, which are those 38, and say, right, okay, what have we got left? Who wants to work with me? 
is there any chance of you guys coming to sit around the table and see if we we can do it? I've been incredibly lucky on the State Assembly and Constitution Committee. The first two people who necessarily, if people had asked me a day before, would I have chosen, because they don't know me very well, there wouldn't have been people I would naturally have gone through because people think I've got relationships elsewhere. The first two people I went for was Jonathan Latoc, Deputy Jonathan Latoc. Um, he's been around the block, so to speak. He's got a great mind. He understands the system, how the organisations work. I've only been in position a year and a half, and I need that kind of talent next to me. Yeah. And Jonathan Latoc thankfully said that. Secondly, I asked uh, Deputy Yerby, now McSwiggan, who got married uh, this weekend. Congratulations um, to her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Good, good, good for her. Um, I asked Deputy McSwiggan. We're not necessarily naturally aligned, but what I recognise immediately, she's just talent incarnate. She can read things that I will always miss. Her output is incredible, and I know when she's committed to something that she will do it to the best of her ability. So those, those are the two people. So that was fantastic. I then got Deputy Fairbrush, who was a poster child for um, island-wide voting, so we needed uh, you know, a flag waiver there as well. And fifthly, my VP is uh, Deputy Jennifer Merritt, who's been a great VP. So in that regard, I've been very lucky, but an element of that is actually luck. Because those are the people that I managed to identify who are very good for the team, but there could be other cases where you're on another committee where you end up choosing five or another four people from what is a very diminished pond of people that don't necessarily have skill sets in, in that area. And just finally on that, before I sort of talk too much, critically of me, if, weirdly, Deputy Michel Leclerc ever asked me to, on ESS, I'd probably say no. Because I don't know an awful lot about pensions and pension planning and social security. I wouldn't be very good for the first couple of years because it is such an intense, detailed area of work, which I personally find, as Neil Linda, boring. I don't think that does make it unimportant. I just find it boring. Mm. Courses for courses. Yeah, I I work in very visual. If I can see things, I can understand it. If I've got to read stuff, I, I kind of get bored very damn quickly, which is a bit silly coming from the president of the state's assembly constitution committee who's got to got to read rules all day long if somebody is listening to this who might be thinking of standing next year and uh, you know this is something i think if people are listening at this stage they'll certainly be interested in politics maybe considering it what would you say would be the best advice my best advice is uh, make sure you want to do it it is a commitment you're going to put yourself in front of the electorate you're going to make Certainly commitments, I wouldn't say promises, because you can't make, you can't necessarily say you're going to do anything. You're going to make promises, and those people are going to give you your vote. So the fact that those people have given you your vote tells you that you have been supported by a number of people. So you have to deliver at least on your commitments and try to deliver on your promises. For me, it's not the weight of having to work within the organisation. It's the weight of carrying those people, I personally, I believe, who've given me... What I think is a very important thing is their vote in democratic society and how I think about them as how I move forward. So that's that's how I think about it. Certainly, I would advise people to really look at um, the organisation, how it works itself. See if you want to work in that kind of organisation. My other advice would be to sit and have a, if you can't be bothered, sit and listen to us um, in the assembly for uh, a couple of days and see how it works. What we're going to do, because we recognise there are things that when some of us came in that we didn't realise the impact of being a deputy. As the State Assembly and Constitution Committee, and we're going through an induction process for new deputies. And actually, as a consequence of a meeting that we had, um, ooh, I'm going to say last week, with deputies, we all got in the room, all of us, I think well, I say all of us, 26 of us got into the room. 
And some of the things I've been saying now have been said by other people probably in a better way. These are the challenges we had as new deputies. Some of us were working already, so we didn't have the time to have a, to have a look at the organisation. But these are the things that we think that, that are going to be useful for new candidates. So we're going to have two documents. We're going to have an induction um, document and a programme of once you're a deputy, what happens to you? Um, you'll get thrown through the system almost like a very fast-track graduation scheme, for want of a better word. But importantly, for new candidates... We are going to be producing a booklet of a guide to actually what being a deputy means, which I don't really think has happened in any great detail before. But that that came from a, a workshop that we had with 26 deputies. So I think that would be useful for candidates. So as our role is to help candidates, I don't care who stands. What I really care about is those who stand, who know what they're committing themselves to. I don't want to scare them off. But it ain't that easy. It certainly ain't that easy. And you need a thick skin. I think so. You know what, with the advent of social media and we're ultimately exposed. What what I didn't realise, and okay, possibly, I'm, I think I probably did realise actually, very quickly once you're elected, you are public property. There's no two ways about that. You are public property. You know, 50 days before... I stood in the by-election, you know, I'd sit in the corner of Varzon Cafe and the people who come and talk to me, there's people I knew. Two and a half years later, you sit in Varzon Cafe having a chat and a coffee, the people who come and talk to you now are not always the people that you know. But that's not a bad thing, that, that's just a recognition that there's, you're not hidden anymore. If you are fairly high profile as someone like me is, you are just seen everywhere. What are the most important qualities you need personally, do you think? I think you have to be true to yourself. I know that sounds a bit glib, but every single vote that I've taken over the past three years, I've slept very well the day after. I think there's probably one vote, which I won't discuss now, which I'm not entirely sure if I should have gone the way that I, I, did, I did go. What I did notice as well, actually, you, you often go into the Assembly with fixed ideas, absolutely, I'm going to vote for A. The debate comes along and suddenly you find, oh dear... Maybe I'm more of a B-boy. And so I have shifted. I can't say the the debates are completely and utterly useless. I think they've gone for too long. I mean, I'd shorten the speeches tomorrow if I, if I could get away with it when I'm King of Guernsey. But certainly, I think you've got to be prepared to move as well and look at the information that's put in front of you and see if you can move. But ultimately, if you're not comfortable with that decision, don't do it. And uh, will you be standing next year? Don't know. If there was an election tomorrow, the answer would be yes. But I know what I'm like. I don't live and breathe politics. It's something that I enjoy doing. I've got to make that decision probably around March, April, May. What I will be proud of if I walked out of politics and I sort of I sort of raised my eyes to heaven to a degree, I just hope the one significant thing that I did as a member of um, this house was delivered the democracy that the people wanted and delivered the promise of the referendum. I just hope it's successful. And that's what I'm utterly committed to now, along with the rest of my committee, is delivering the will of the people. Deputy Neil Linder, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. You've been listening to the In-Depth Podcast with Richard Harding.